everybody, and welcome back to I Just Want to Talk About the Bible. If this is your first time joining us, then let me just say welcome to you, and I'm glad you're here. My name is Christian Keeter, and I am on staff at an international discipleship ministry called Mentoring Men for the Master, which is based out of North Carolina on the east coast of the U.S., which is where I live with my amazing, beautiful, godly wife and our two wonderful daughters. So today, what are we talking about today? We are talking about an entire category or group of of people. And a lot of us have will have no doubt been in this group um, at some point in our past. Some of you may be in this group right now. And if so, I'm really glad that you're here listening to this. Um, but at the very least, we've probably at least encountered people who have been a part of the group that we are talking about today. So what group am I referring to? Uh, To answer that question, we're going to look at a passage from Matthew chapter 7. Um, For those of you who don't know, Matthew 7 is part of the Sermon on the Mount. You can read that in Matthew chapters 5 through 7. It's it's absolutely incredible. It's totally worth sitting down and reading. Um, It is the description of what a Christian should look like. When you read Matthew uh, 5 through 7, if if you want to know what a Christian should look like, not that we always hit this target, but read Matthew 5 through 7 um, is Jesus speaking. So Matthew 7 verses 21 through 23 says this. This is Jesus speaking again. He says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? and cast out demons in your name, and do many mighty works in your name. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So, obviously, um, somewhat of a heavy passage here. But just the weight of what's being said here uh, beckons us to lean in and ask questions of, ask more questions and try to understand this more. You can just feel it. And so we need to understand what's happening here. So we're going to go back through this verse by verse and then um, talk a little bit more about this group that I referred to at the beginning that we see being described here. So in, in verse 21, Matthew 7, 21, Jesus said to repeat, he said, um, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven. Okay, so this this leads us to ask some practical questions. So he says, not everyone who says not everyone who just calls Jesus Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of his Father who is in heaven. That's what um, the passage says, and so that leads us to ask a couple of questions. So the first one would be, does this mean that we earn our salvation? Again, the passage says. I'll reread it. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. At first glance, it may sound like, oh man, well, that sounds like works-based salvation. At first glance, it it may sound like um, what's being said is that we have to do good works in order to enter the kingdom of God. But that's not so. And it can't be so, because if that's what's being said here, then it would contradict other passages of Scripture. So, for example, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, a really famous passage. Um, The Apostle Paul writing to the church in Ephesus, he says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. 
and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So in this passage, it's explicitly stated in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 that, okay, salvation is not a result of works. No one can boast. It's not a result of works. It is grace through faith. It's nothing that we can take credit for. It's not something we earn. And so this actually leads us to what's going to be a slight caveat, but it's going to be so important um, both to this discussion that we're having today about what Jesus is saying in Matthew 7, but also when it comes to studying the scriptures. It's a crucially important tool that we have to develop when it comes to interpreting the Bible and reading, uh, and reading it. So truth. Truth by its nature cannot contradict itself. If there are two opposite claims being made, then they can't both be true. So, simple example. Suppose two people are talking, um, they're sitting down, having a conversation. One of them says, God exists. And the other one says, God does not exist. Those two statements cannot both be true. They just can't be. They, they are opposite statements, and one of those statements is true, and the other is not. And I'll go ahead and tell you the statement God exists is the true statement. Um, but you see the point that I'm making. The point that I'm making is two opposite things cannot both be simultaneously true if they're contradictory. Two contradictory things cannot be simultaneously true. So how does that apply to the Bible? When we're reading the Bible, we know that the Bible is truth. We know that it is. Uh, Psalm uh, 119. Uh, let's see here. I, I didn't plan on looking this up. I think it's verse um, 160. Let me pull it up right now. Um, yeah, Psalm 119, 160. Um, the psalmist says, The sum of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous rules endures forever. Uh, Jesus said in John 17, uh, down in John 17, 17, he says, uh, he's praying to the Father, and he says, Sanctify them in your, or it, I'm sorry, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Another place that we see this is going to be in 2 Timothy 3, 16. Um, it, uh, it says, uh, all scripture is breathed out by God. And so being the words of God, okay, they're going to reflect the character of God. And God is truth. The Holy Spirit is called the spirit of truth. 2 Peter 1, 20-21 says, Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. He's called the Spirit of Truth, therefore the Word is going to be true because the Word reflects the character of God. So, since God is true, His Word is true. So I say that to say truth cannot contradict itself. It can't. And so when we are interpreting scripture, if we have two passages of scripture that seem to be at odds, if there is one passage that says one thing and another passage that says another thing, and from our perspective, they seem to be contradictory, they're not contradictory because like we just said, truth can't contradict itself. So there must be some sort of understanding or interpretation that we have not seen yet. There must be some sort of way that these two things work together. Now, this doesn't mean that there aren't paradoxes in the Bible, but a paradox is not an untruth. A paradox is just something that seems to be um, at odds with itself, but is not actually at odds. And that is not a statement about the thing itself. That's a statement about our limited understanding. 
Um, just because we can't fully understand something doesn't mean that it's at odds with itself or that there's a contradiction. So this is very important. When you read the Bible, it's very important to look up other relevant passages of scripture that have to do with the topic that you're studying. And we need to take all these passages in, of scripture in mind when we're coming to conclusions. Otherwise, if we just take one verse uh, one verse in isolation out of the context of the rest of scripture, we could come to really wrong conclusions. And, uh, and so it's very important that we read the Bible in light of the Bible. And this doesn't mean that you have to have the whole thing memorized. It's very important to be um, regularly internalizing more and more scripture and um, memorizing it, meditating upon it, applying it, doing it. Um, that's very, very important. Um, but there are wonderful resources online such as openbible.info. It's a website. And on openbible.info, they have a section called Topical Bible, I think, or Topics or something like that. And what it is, is it'll say, what does the Bible say about, and it'll be a blank, just a blank spot. And you can type in the blank. Um, you could type in kingdom of God or salvation or grace or anything relevant to a, um, a subject that you're researching, that you're studying. And what it does is it doesn't give um, articles. It doesn't give um, commentary. It just gives scripture. It just gives other scriptures that are relevant to the phrase that you typed in. And so that's a great way to say, well, what else does the Bible say about what I'm looking at here? And so I know that was a little bit of a, a lengthy caveat, but it's really, really important when it comes to interpreting the scriptures. So coming back here, where are we so far? In Matthew 7, Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven. And so we have seen that that can't mean works-based salvation, earning the right to enter the kingdom of heaven because of what Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, which by way of reminder says, for, great, uh, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So we know it's not works-based salvation. Furthermore, there's just other passages in the scripture that clearly say what does save you. And so, for example, John 1, 12 through 13, um, I, I read, I think, actually the following, the verses I'm about to read in a recent episode um, of the podcast, but hey, we can never hear it too much, right? So John 1, 12 through 13 says, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So that's John 1, 12 through 13. And what does it say? All who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children, become children of God. And so what leads to someone becoming a child of God? Receiving him, believing in his name, obviously referring to Jesus. Um, later in that same um, account and in, in the, the gospel, according to John, uh, chapter 20, verses 30 through 31, it says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that um, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So what leads to life in his name? Believing that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And then, of course, there's John 3.16. And what does John 3.16 say? It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So, again, none of these passages say anything about works, earning salvation. None of these things say about um, uh, earning 
the right to enter the kingdom of God. Um, but what does it say? Whoever believes in him, it's belief, trust, faith placed in Jesus, who he is, what he did, um, his substitutionary death for us, how he rose from the dead and is seated at the right hand of God, how he is our only means, only means to righteousness, uh, to righteousness and peace with God, that there is no other way at all in all the world to be born again apart from Jesus. Like it's faith in these things, putting all of our hope and trust in him. Jesus said in John 14, six, he said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the father except through me. There is no way aside through Jesus to come to the father. Um, in Acts chapter four, verse 12, it says, let's see here. I believe that this is Peter speaking. Yes, Peter um, is speaking and he says in Acts 4.12, he says, and there is salvation in no one else for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And so we see what leads to salvation, what leads to entrance um, into the kingdom of God, um, access to God's presence, peace with God, righteousness. It is believing in Jesus. It's believing in him. It's belief. It's faith. It's trust. So having all this in mind, we return to the passage in Matthew chapter 7, and we're still faced with the question of, well, what does it mean then? I mean, when he says, um, the not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven, well, what does that mean? Well, this is, this is what it means. It reflects the truth that for those of us who are born again, for those of us for whom Jesus is truly Lord, for those of us who are following him, there has been a change. There has been a complete a change, and we are not who we were. So Ephesians, I'm sorry, not Ephesians, 2 Corinthians 5.17 is another famous scripture. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So when we become Jesus followers, when we... Um, place our faith and trust in him, something incredible happens spiritually. Um, who we were dies and we become a new creation. We are spiritually buried with Jesus and raised to new life. And now there's a future day when there's going to be a physical resurrection. I mean, the body that we're, that we're in right now still, of course, dies. And, um, but there's going to be a day where there is a, um, a physical rebirth um, but the second that you put your trust in Jesus, there is a spiritual rebirth. Who you were ceases to be, and you are something altogether new. And in a previous episode of this podcast, I believe it was number 14, the title being um, Our Funeral Leads to Our Freedom, I, I go in, in relative depth through um, Romans chapter 6. And in Romans 6, one of the big topics, Romans 6, specifically verses 1 through 14, one of the big topics is this reality that um, in Christ we have died and been raised, spiritually speaking. And so I'm not going to reteach all that material here. You can go back and listen to episode 14. Um, but for the sake of our conversation, my point is just that um, for those of us who are in Christ Jesus, we are new creations. Um, the way that Paul put it, again, he said, um, if anyone is in Christ, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And so it stands to obvious reason that if we are a 
um, if the old has passed away and the new has come, that there's going to be some changes, that some things are going to be different about us. This doesn't mean that we wake up necessarily looking any different. Um, the sound of our voice isn't necessarily going to change. My, you know, um, the color of my hair isn't going to change. That's not what's being said here. So what, what has changed? Who I am, who I truly am in my inner person has changed. Whenever we become a follower of Jesus, that changes. And so let me read, uh, you know, actually, you know, before I get in these verses, let me just kind of state something outright and then um, prove it from the scriptures. So with, with regard to our conversation about works and salvation, it means this. Salvation, I'm sorry, good works do not produce salvation. They do not. We've already looked at plenty of passages of scripture that illustrate this. Good works do not lead to you being born again. However, although good works don't produce salvation, salvation leads to good works. In fact, in uh, Ephesians chapter 2, I read Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 earlier, but verse 10 that comes right after where Paul talks about how we were, um, uh, for by grace you have been saved through faith and that whole thing, it's not of works not the result of works. He says in verse 10, he said, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And so do good works produce salvation? Absolutely not. But salvation leads to good works. Salvation uh, leads to a changed lifestyle. Salvation leads to um, us being different. And so... Biblically speaking, if somebody is claiming to be a Christian, but there is no evidence at all of a changed life, if they can continue in sin the way they did before, if they don't have any desire to follow or know the Lord, if they're exactly the same after, quote, getting saved, then they have every reason to question whether or not they're truly born again. Now, that might sound harsh. You might say, well, Christian, who are you to judge? I'm not trying to judge. I'm actually just trying to say what the Bible actually says. And so let me let me defend this with the scriptures, and uh, and then I'll even you know give an, an illustration from my own life here. Um, let's see here. So 1 John chapter 3, verses 4 through 10. Listen closely to this. It says, Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. And then John transitions into another uh, topic there. But listen to the stuff that he said. He said things like, um, uh, let's see here, he says, No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Whoever practices righteousness as he uh, is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. 
Um, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning for God's seed abides in him and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. And so I just, you know, selected a few verses out of what we just read to recap that. But, but listen to those terms. Listen to what he's saying. John is saying here, those who are born again, those who are, who use this term, who abide in him, um, the one in whom God's seed abides, um, the one who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. Now, that at first glance may sound like sinless perfection, being like, oh, wow, it sounds like we have to be perfect and never sin. And no, this is not the case. And and, I'll, and let me show you really quickly why. Um, it's, it's not saying being perfect. Earlier in this exact same letter, in the letter of 1 John, um, chapter 2, uh, I'm sorry, the end of chapter 1 and into chapter 2, John says this. He says in 1 John 1, 8, through chapter two six, listen to listen to what he says here, and uh, and and I'll actually probably pause along the way, um, and um, make a couple of comments. So in in first John beginning in verse uh, chapter one verse eight, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Now listen to this, chapter 2, verse 1. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And so let me pause there before continuing through the passage. He calls them his little children. He says, my little children, I'm writing these things to you. Why? So that they may not sin. But look what he says. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And so we see right there, what John is talking about in chapter three that we read just a moment ago is not talking about sinless perfection because earlier in this exact same letter, he talks about the reality that, hey, we as Christians do still struggle with sin. And that if we do um, uh, sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And so you see we're doing the exact thing thing I'm sorry, exact same thing I was talking about earlier, which is saying, well, this passage can't be saying just this because of this other passage over here. It's good. This is how we study the Bible. Continuing in John, first uh, John two, two says he is the propitiation for our sins and not for our sins only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Let me pause. That doesn't mean that everybody is born again. That just means that the whole world has access to him. Because again, if it was, if, if he was saying everyone was just automatically born again, like some form of universalism, then I mean, it would make these other verses that we just read a few minutes ago. Not true. John one, uh, 12 through 13, talking about those who are the children of God, who are, or those who received him, who believes in his name or John, you know, two. I'm sorry, John 20, 30 through 31, we just talked about um, where he said uh, that, you know, by believing that he is the Christ, the son of God, when we have life in his name, or even John 14, six, again, whether we read a moment ago, Jesus uh, said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the father except through me. And so we have to acknowledge that um, these verses and we have to, you know, not write them off whenever we're seeking to understand what's being said. So John in first John chapter two, verse two, that I just read is not talking about universal salvation that everyone's automatically going to be born again. Um, that's uh that's just, that's a falsehood. That's not true. Um, according to the Bible. And we've seen that. And so continuing through the passage, first John two, three through six says this. And by this, we know that we have come to know him. If we keep his commandments, Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, 
truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. And so now we have all these things kind of together here. So John uh, is not describing sinless perfection. In fact, going back to 1 John 3 that we read a minute ago, 1 John 3, 6 in the New American Standard Bible says it really in a very helpful way. It translates it like this. No one who remains in him sins continually. No one who sins continually has seen him or knows him. And so we see, let's take this all into consideration here. So I know we're going all sorts of crazy places, and I hope that I haven't just made this super convoluted, but I'm trying to give you a well-rounded um, perspective on this topic, and then we're going to see what Jesus is, is saying. So, so far, where are we? Um, we know that salvation is by grace alone, through faith in Jesus alone. It's not a result of works, that there's no other means to have peace with or access to God other than Jesus and um, belief in who he uh, says he is uh, and what he did and uh, what we see recorded in the scriptures. However, that change, when we believe that, we become a new creation and that results in a change in our life. And part of that change is that we don't continue in sin the way that we did previously. Which this makes perfect sense. I mean, the Bible um, makes it clear that if we're born again, um, that the Holy Spirit is living inside of us, and that if anyone does not have the Holy Spirit, then they're not actually born again. That's you know you could you could say uh, you can see that clearly in Romans eight nine. And so anybody who's put their trust in Jesus has the Holy Spirit. Um, and since in the Holy Spirit, and we see in Acts, I'm sorry, Ephesians four thirty that he can be grieved. We can grieve the Holy Spirit, and when we grieve the Spirit by sin. We feel that ourselves too. Um, it's 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 why those of us who are born again, whenever we sin, it's just like it just it just doesn't. It's like ah, oh, I don't like how this feels. There's a change, and so um, we see from passages like First John that being born again will result in a changed life, and that if somebody can continue in sin the way that they did previously, then they have every reason to question whether or not they're born again. So now let's loop all the way back around to where Jesus said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven. Now it makes a lot of sense. It's not that um, doing the will of his father who is in heaven leads to us entering the kingdom of heaven. It's just, it's just saying that those of us who have been truly changed have been changed and that uh, we're not the way that we were and that we're going to want to do the will of our father who is in heaven. Again, just I would say, go back and look at all those verses from 1 John, 1 John 1, 8 uh, through 2, 6, and then 1 John 3, 4 through 10. You can go and reread those that I just read, but that's what it says. So there's a change. And so what can we say here? We can say this, just because someone verbally says that Jesus is Lord does not automatically mean that they are saved. Remember, what does the life reveal? Is there a disdain for sin in their life? Do they want sin out of their life? Do they want to know Jesus? Do they want to follow him? Do they care about being holy? Do they, or do they just say some of the right things? Let me give you a couple of examples. I used to work at a cafe here in my town. And uh, there, were, there are two individuals in particular that I'm thinking about who would have claimed to have been Christians, but from the outside looking in, um, I... I, I question whether or not they are truly born again. And that's not a critical or judgmental sort of thing. That's just a, it's just a matter of reality. Whereas I look at them, I, I didn't see evidence of a changed life at all. And so when I was working in this cafe, 
I would frequently talk about the Lord to uh, my coworkers and uh, occasionally got me in a little bit of trouble, but obviously I don't regret that at all. And one such conversation, I'm out back cleaning out the mop bucket. Really enviable task. Um, I must have won a bet or something to earn the right to go out by the trash cans and spray down the mop bucket. So I was feeling real good about myself. No, but I was, I was, uh, we had headsets at this cafe and because it was a drive through and you could use these headsets to obviously talk to the people who are in the drive through or just to communicate with whoever's wearing the other headsets. And so the baristas would, you know, talk to one another over these headsets. So I was speaking with my coworker and I was talking about the Lord. I don't remember exactly how the conversation was going, but I made mention of somehow uh, or some way about how good works don't get us into heaven, what we're talking about today. And this person cuts in and says, now, wait a minute. And remember, this person claims to be a Christian. They cut in and say, well, wait a minute. If being good doesn't get you to heaven, then what does? And I said, well, believing in Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, it's, it's faith in him. And, and, you know, placing your trust in him. And they, of course, were like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. But I just remember thinking, how can this person claim to believe the gospel when they don't even know it? <laughs> they, they don't even know how to be born again, and yet they're claiming to be saved. They think that works leads to salvation. And, um, and, and let me say... You know, let me let me give the sec- another my second example, and then I'll I'll comment. Second example is there was another person I was working with who claimed to be a Christian, um, and uh, you know maybe even said some of the right things, but this person held to some um, moral and uh, cultural opinions that are clearly in opposition to the Word of God, and. They, they still embrace these positions despite the fact that the word of God would say the opposite thing. And I, I just remember, it's, it's like, well, this person claims to be a Christian, but they don't care what the Bible says about these topics. So how can somebody claim to be a Christian if they're not even following Jesus in an area? And this person had some other stuff going on as well. Um, they were living with their significant other and they weren't married. And so obviously just no regard for, for holiness or seeking the Lord or pursuing after him. And so I, I, I give these as examples just because um, this is a really common thing, especially in my part of the world. I don't know what your experience is like, but in my part of the world, in the Southeast of the United States, there are churches everywhere, lots of churches. And, uh, this is obviously, it's a good thing. It's great that there's, uh, such, there's so many churches and, um, that Christianity is such a, um, so, well, at least historically was, uh, embraced. That's been, um, really changing pretty sharply, uh, here in the States and, and in other parts of the world as well recently. But, um, there, you know, lots of churches. And so, um, a lot of people, they're, Parents, grandparents, great-grandparents, great-uncle, you know, sort of whatever, um, were believers. And these people were just kind of born into the church. They're just born in the church. They can always do churchy stuff. They grew up in it, but their faith was never their own. They never actually owned it. These people are the people who are saying, yeah, well, you know, you say, how long have you been a Christian? And they say things like, well, I've always been in church. I was like, well, that wasn't my question. How long have you been a Christian? When were you born again? When were you changed? Well, I've always been a Christian. No, 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 you have not. You have not always been a Christian, you know? And so th- this is this is very common. And so you don't think that I'm just like picking on people because I'm not. I was in this camp for six years. When I was 13, 
I heard a sermon, had an emotional response to it. And I um, prayed a prayer that somebody led me through the, you know, what people famously call like some version of the sinner's prayer. I was baptized after that. Every single night I would pray the Lord's prayer before going to bed and ask for forgiveness of sins. But here's the thing. I wasn't changed. I hadn't actually been changed. I wasn't truly born again. And honestly, I didn't really want to go to heaven. I just didn't want to go to hell. If there was a third option, I would have rather have taken that at the time, but I was not changed. You see, Jesus said in John 17, three, he's praying to his father and he says, and this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So we see that what is salvation? What is eternal life? It's knowing Jesus. It's knowing him. And I didn't know Jesus. I didn't actually know him. Yeah, I knew some of the right answers and I might have intellectually agreed with the facts, but I didn't actually know him. I didn't have any desire to follow him. I just didn't want to go to hell, but I hadn't been changed. I didn't want my life to be changed. I didn't want to surrender my life to him. I hadn't been changed. But if you fast forward six years when I was 19, I was truly born again truly born again. And I was changed and I had this desire to follow Jesus I had never had before and to read his word and to be around the people of God. And I had the desire to not sin and to grow in holiness and to just spend time with the Lord. That mean I did it perfectly. No one does it perfectly, but it means that there's a change. Like John said, we don't continue to practice sin. He says, everyone who, pra- who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. And so If I had died in that six-year period from when I was 13 to the time when I was 19, even though I would have claimed to have been a Christian at that point, I think I would have gone to hell. I didn't know the Lord. The Lord is very merciful, very merciful to me. And I can honestly say now that if I were to die, I'd be with the Lord. And so there has to be a change. So just because someone verbally says that Jesus is Lord does not automatically mean that they're saved. Jesus goes on to say in Matthew 7, 22, he says, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? Notice first that he says many on that day, many will say to me on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not do these things? And so there are a lot of people. He doesn't say some, he doesn't say a few, he doesn't say a couple. He says many. There are a lot of people in this category, but look at what these people say. Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? So this is, he says on that day, this is the last day. This is the day of judgment. This is the last day. And so Jesus is saying on that day, He said, these people are going to say these things, but this is what's interesting about this. These people, they're like almost arguing with the Lord. He's, they're arguing with him. They're saying, Lord, didn't we do all these things? This is a group of people who seem to think that they're born again, who seem to think that they're sincere followers of Jesus, but they're not. And when on that last day, what do they do? They point to some things that they did. They're like, well, we prophesied in your name. We cast out demons in your name. We did many many mighty works in your name. And we could add to that. Oh, we went to church in your name. We prayed in your name. We fed the homeless in your name. We memorized scripture in your name. These people thought they were born again. But they weren't. And so they start pushing back. And they say, didn't we do all this? And so this shows us something. It shows us that just because someone does spiritual or religious things does not automatically mean that they are saved. 
Someone could be the chairman of the deacon board and be lost. Someone could be an elder in a church and be lost. Someone could be a senior pastor of a church and still be lost. Just because you do spiritual or religious things doesn't automatically mean that we're saved. Just because we do that doesn't mean that we're saved. And then Jesus finishes here in um, 7.23. He says, And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. And so this is exactly what I was talking about in John 17.3, where Jesus said, And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. And so what's happening here? Yeah, these people did these things. They did stuff. They, um, they did religious and spiritual things. They called Jesus Lord. But here's the, the thing. He says, I never knew you. Yeah, all that stuff is, yeah, yeah, but, but I never knew you. And that's what saves, knowing him. In fact, some, um, an old mentor of mine, actually the guy who began the ministry that I'm with now, he used to say that some people will miss heaven by 18 inches, which is the distance between the head and the heart. Now, I've never taken a tape measure to see if it is 18 inches. I imagine there's some personal variation there, depending on height. But you get the point where he's like, there's a whole group of people who intellectually agree in their heads, but it's not in their hearts. They know about God in their heads, but they don't actually know Jesus in their hearts. So it all comes down to knowing him. And if we know him, it will be evidenced by a changed life. Remember, doing good works doesn't mean that we know him. Doesn't mean that we know him, but it reveals that we know him. And so I say all this to say, again, I was in this category. I was in this category for a long time. This group of people is sometimes called nominal Christians, which means Christians basically in name only. They say some of the right things. They may have the right Bible answers, um, but they've never been changed. And here in my part of the world, there's lots of people like this in um, in in the church. And so I do this episode. Let me, in fact, let me reread one last time and recap because I know I went into some crazy depth here. Jesus said in Matthew 7, 21 through 23, he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So we see that just because someone verbally says that Jesus is Lord does not automatically mean that they are saved. And just because someone does spiritual or religious things does not automatically mean that they're saved. It's all about knowing him. Do we know him? Listen, we don't want to be in that category of many. And so I encourage you to search your heart to, to make sure and to solidify, to make sure you're not in that camp that I was in for six years where you know some of the right answers and you grew up in church, but you've never quite solidified it. And also, you might know some people in that camp, and that might lead to the question of, well, how can I interact with them and help them? When you're talking to somebody, and you're trying to, and you think that they're not truly born again, and you want to help them see that they need to put their trust in Jesus, but they think that they're that they're in this they're in this group, ask them questions like, "What's your testimony? Tell me about when you were saved, or if you were to die today, how are you sure that you'd be with the Lord?" And listen to their answers. Ask them questions like, well, what is your church talking about right now? Or where have you been reading in the Bible? Or what's God teaching you right now? And be ready to share with them your answers to those questions about what God has been doing in your life. Treat them kind, ask them questions as though, since they're claiming to be Christians, ask them questions as though they are Christians. And through the course of that conversation, um, you should see some opportunities to speak into that and say, and to just kind of highlight some things. And maybe they'll see through that conversation, hey, I don't know the Lord. And again, none of this is fodder to be critical. This isn't like, that's not what this is. Um, I'm not trying to give you ammunition 
to be you know critical or judgmental or anything like that but this is a reality it's a very large group of people and one we don't want to find ourselves in that and two we want to do anything we can to help the people that we know who are in it to get out of it jesus says there's going to be many and and that's just that's tragic so i hope um i know this is a little bit of a heavier episode but but listen, this is this sort of stuff is really important and needed to talk about. So I hope that it was encouraging, motivating, and um, thought-provoking. I, I hope that the Lord spoke to you through it. Um, as always, it's an honor to be able to, um, to share this time with you guys. Uh, and I, I hope it motivates you to move forward. But that's it for this time. God bless you guys. See ya.